0: Welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. It's your host, Adrian. And today I'm joined by a friend of mine who comes on the show to share his story of recovery from alcohol abuse. And he talks about struggling with drugs, struggling with alcohol, and using these substances to cope with feelings of hopelessness and feelings of depression. This is not your typical AA story. I really hope that this episode can inspire and help people who may have tried AA, they may have tried 12-step, but just did not resonate with it and are still looking for some answers. Please join me in welcoming Sebastian. Sebastian, welcome to the Addictive Pod, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing good. Yeah. We both know we're not doing good. We're dying <laughs> <laughs> of, school, of school burnout.
1: My body and mind are at like a four, but my soul is like a seven and a half, so. oh, like a seven.
0: like that's
1: like a uh, like a positive seven? Yeah. like, okay, okay. nice. you know. I'm beaten down, but uh, <laughs> what, bent but not broken but unbowed, right? That's what,
0: amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad you have the time to to come on the show and, and chat more about your story. I only know like a tiny little bit about your story, so I'm excited to to hear more detail and talk about the recovery side and and tell me about Calgary. I know I was talking to you a little bit about that. What was it like growing up in Calgary and what was it like, um, kind of first, first coming in contact with like seeing people drink or seeing people with substances? Was that, was, was that around you a lot in your childhood? Or was it only later that you kind of saw that? Um, so yeah,
1: I, my family moved to Calgary when I was five and when I was, uh, like a very young child, like from the ages of five to 12 or five to 14. Um, I didn't have a, an abnormal, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary with substances. Uh, neither of my parents have, both my parents drink, but neither of them uh, have a drinking problem. And um, yeah, I wasn't like getting going to parties when I was 13 or 12. So um, yeah, my early childhood was was pretty normal in that regard
0: okay cool did you um do you feel like even before drinking your substances was there anything kind of quirky going on with you where you were like kind of coping with life in in other ways or or struggling at all or did you have a pretty like for all intents and purposes like average normal childhood um I definitely was a a Bit
1: weird as a kid, uh, like a bit of an outlier, and I've managed to tone it down as an adult. But I think I'm still a little bit kind of <laughs> fucked up in the head. Uh, so, yeah, you're a great mean, weird man. You're a great <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, I guess you, in clinical terms, you would say that as like a five to nine year old or five to twelve year old, I had pretty poor emotional regulation um, and uh, a very bad filter. So I wasn't the best at um, adapting to like school setting, um, which was a little funny. Cause like I was always articulate and a performer, but mm. I also just didn't really know how to turn it off. So like I'd be in a class with people that hated life and I'd be like, wow, like, you know, have you considered this full ph- philosophical question? And they'd all like <laughs> uh, hate my guts. So uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I got bullied and didn't always fit in. And um, most of my memories of uh, school, um pre-university are like not that
0: well pre-16 are like not very fond ones. So got it got it. Yeah. Do you feel did you do well in school though? Were you were you a pretty smart kid or uh yeah I was a smart kid. Um I
1: ended up in um a program for smart kids. Um a I guess I did well in school, but I did not really apply myself. So I kind of figured out early on that I didn't really need to study to do well enough. And once I was in um uh this this the gifted program, most of the kids were like planning to get into Harvard and stuff. And I I wasn't like that. I was just like, oh, this is what I need to do to get like an A minus, which is, Mm. you know, be in a class awake. And that's mostly what I I did. Um, got it, got it. I took like, yeah. I, I took courses where I knew I wouldn't have to study and
0: yeah. 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 I can, I can definitely relate to that. Just kind of, just kind of getting by not as like, not as ambitious or not as super motivated as some other people you, you could say. Yeah. I wasn't motivated at all. Like
1: my motivation yeah. was a zero. I spent all my time playing Dungeons and Dragons and smoking pot. So, uh, uh <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> playing magic, the gathering. And, uh, my parents are like really worried that I wouldn't get into university. Um, Was this from grade
0: nine or was this more end of high school? uh,
1: So grade nine, I started to smoke pot and experiment with uh, psychedelics. And um, I just, I was able to do that and still like seem like things were going fine in class. Like it just never um, seemed like I I was failing classes or anything like that. Um, But I definitely didn't care. Like I didn't, nothing, nothing in class really excited me. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Do you think like weed was a way to cope with that or do you think weed might have possibly caused or or like perpetuated that like lack of motivation? That is a
1: good question. Um I remember that when I started experimenting with drugs, I just kind of thought that I was like cool and (laughs) that I was like older than I was. Like I wanted to grow up fast and all of that stuff. And I just thought that as like a young poet and artist, that this is something you did, like you experimented with these things. Um, And I don't remember ever as a teenager getting to the point where like I needed to uh, do drugs to like get on with my day. Like it was, I didn't, mm, I never needed okay. to get through the day, but I was doing it, uh, like three or four times a week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I, so inter- I, I feel like creative people, um, yeah, poets, musicians, it's just, it seems so par for the course that they end up in that kind of mindset where it's like, oh, this is cool. This is sort of what's in that scene. This is what the people that I'm interested in are doing. It mm-hmm. helps me with the creative flow maybe um or at least it might like feel like it at the time until you like look back on what you were writing while super yeah. stoned um yeah. but it's so yeah I, i've had so many conversations similarly with with uh more creative people um mm. that um that sort of use drugs in that way which is different than i think a lot of people who ended up drinking or doing drugs in high school for other reasons mm. um do you think that's do you think that's fair that you were kind of looking at it in a, for a different purpose or was it, was it also just to have fun?
1: Yeah, I think it was for a different purpose. I mean, my addictive behavior, uh, even when I was a kid was, uh, almost always doing substances alone. So, Mm. um, uh, yeah, that's like always been the pattern. Um, I don't know, like when I, yeah. Um, so I I I didn't like getting high with other people like I'd always just get a little anxious and and weird so um I don't know yeah it was kind of fun but I I don't it's hard for me to know like uh exactly what I was thinking I mean it was a long time ago and I was yeah. probably not thinking a lot critically about what was going on so yeah that
0: was the whole issue
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Oh man that's interesting I yeah, I guess if I'm looking back on high school, I mainly smoked alone, just like to go to sleep. Basically, it was kind of mm. like my sleeping meds. Hmm. But um, how long did that go on for, or did it did was weed kind of the main culprit through high school, or did did drinking start to come in at some point in high school as well?
1: Yeah, so um, I was like a nerdy kid. I didn't have uh, friends that like were cool and partying when I was like 15. So I didn't start to drink until my friends started to turn 18, which is the drinking age in Alberta. Um, I uh, yeah, so it was drugs. Uh, It was it was weed and mushrooms um, until uh, near the end of high school. And then I tried acid, had a really bad trip and it just turned me off drugs completely. So. You, did, you did acid before you drank? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I had like, I'd had, so at that point I was 17. So my friends yeah. uh, were starting to drink. Um, I don't know. Like there's something about when you're a certain age where you just have no threshold for what's normal and what's not, like both with your behavior mm. and the behavior of others. So, you know, looking back, it just seems really absurd, but I just didn't have anyone giving me like thresholds for what was like extreme behavior and what wasn't. They were just like, hey, Sebastian, we're doing this tonight. Like, <laughs> Look what I got. I, well, I was just like, I tried shrooms like six or seven times and I yeah. really liked it. And so I was like, oh, let me just try acid. I took way too much. Uh, I ended up uh, thinking I would go dungeon master for all of my friends in my girlfriend's house. And uh, like, uh, just like thinking I was going to die and then being depressed for a week. And Whoa. I just like had no desire to even smoke weed again after that. Just, uh, yeah, it felt just didn't really want to. Um, That'll do it. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, There was no LSD cure for
0: alcohol, unfortunately. Uh, Maybe if you had been drinking before that, then (laughs) then maybe you could have lumped alcohol in with the weed and you'd be like, never again.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think weed shares with these uh, hallucinogens that uh, they're introspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, They make me introspective. Uh, And alcohol does basically the opposite so yeah. uh it makes sense for me why
0: i correlated uh weed and and, and psychedelics for sure for sure uh, i've had i've had a, a bunch of paranoid experiences on weed there it's terrible it's terrible like you don't need um especially with how strong it's been getting over the last like five years i'd say like you don't yeah. really need to do shrooms or other drugs to experience that kind of paranoia and those negative symptoms of yeah like, it's it weed weed will get you there for sure yeah yeah um, mm-hmm. tell me about uh, tell me about good old alcohol when did that enter the scene uh, yeah so um, there may have been a couple
1: of times when I was a teenager that I ended up drinking but like I said for the most part it was when my older friends in high school started to turn 18 they would buy booze and then we would you know drink in somebody's basement um, obviously I loved it um, I think, like, all of us loved it. Um, I had, like, a pretty tight-knit group of Dungeons and Dragons friends, uh, nerd friends, and um, we also kind of became party friends. Uh, I didn't, you know, it would be a long time before I started to notice or feel, like, major consequences on my life as a whole. Um, so for the first two, three years, it was kind of, like, Mm. Woo-hoo. But yeah, 16, 17, that's when drinking started.
0: Did you find like when you first started drinking that it had like the effect that it had on you is obviously different than, than weed and other drugs that you had tried. Did you prefer that effect or did you feel like that was especially, uh, sort of scratching your itch or, or was it like, what was your reaction when you, when you had it? I
1: preferred that effect and it was the only, uh, mind altering substance I tried that I wanted to, I was happy to do it around other people. Mm, Um, it was more social. Yeah, it was social when it started. Although once I became of legal drinking age, it very quickly became antisocial. Um, Mm. so it's kind of like, uh, you could do it. You could enjoy yourself on your own or sorry, my, uh, my heating system sounds like it has tiny creatures living <laughs> in it. Um, Good old radiators, yeah. Good old Toronto radiators, yeah. Um, so, uh, what was the question? Was it was it social? Yeah, just I was just
0: curious about the effect. I was curious about the effect of it because I think it's um it, it's almost it's almost the exact opposite of weed. I would say like it's while well, weed is introspective and uh, um decreases your, or, or, um, might make you more antisocial. I feel like alcohol for most people, it sort of diminishes your introspection, diminishes your, your mental barriers or any type of inhibitions you might have and makes you more social. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I don't know, every, every brain is different. I don't know how you reacted to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated, uh, feeling to pin down, I think, uh, because it's acting on so many receptors at once, right? On, on GABA, on serotonin, on dopamine, and maybe one other at least. Um, And so, you know, it'll make me more social, but it'll also make things funnier. It'll make movies more interesting. Um, And then uh, even when it would kind of impact my mood in a presumably negative way, there was sort of like a catharsis uh, in there as well. So um, yeah, I mean,
0: it was kind of like, Doing what do you mean? What do you mean? A, what do you mean? A catharsis? Like it's almost like oh, I'm feeling these emotions, and that's that's good. Like I'm I'm letting myself yeah, express like them. Or?
1: I think I think um when I started to know that I had a problem, I would describe not drinking as like li- the volume of life just feeling turned way down. Um, mm. And so once you get used to a certain threshold of like um, I don't know, like feeling sadness and anger and happiness. Uh, everything else feels uh, small potatoes
0: uh, by mm. comparison. So, um, so you would wake up sober and things would just feel like banal and very uh, just uninteresting or or kind of dull and numb. Yeah, yeah, dull and numb.
1: Uh, especially once I got a couple of days sobriety under my belt, like the first first you know few hours of hangover and shakes and whatever would be uh, you'd be focused on that. But if I got yeah. a little bit of sobriety, it was just like nothing, nothing was felt consequential, um, in any yeah, one way or the yeah.
0: other. So. So where did that, where did that take you? You're, you're like, you're 19, you're 20, you're starting to drink more on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you said there was a couple years before anything negative happened. So what, what were the, what were some of the negative consequences? Yeah. Um, so I moved away from Alberta when I was 18 for university.
1: I moved to BC. Uh, the drinking age in BC is 19. Um, and once again <laughs> was this quirky kid who like didn't wasn't that popular. And so it was kind of tough for me to score alcohol, uh, which felt like a bummer. Uh yeah. and, and so there was a year there where I had self destructive tendencies. Uh, it was the only year in my life where I got in a couple of fights, um, ashamed to say. Um, like physical, like physical fights. Yeah, uh, I got in physical fights. I mean, uh, I don't know. It, it was it was me, and then it was also just the environment. Like it was just like a lot of very high testosterone, very drunk young men, like you know, in frat parties for the first time, and nobody had any maturity and and whatever. So, yeah, I um, cannot imagine. I cannot imagine you throwing hands. <laughs> well, uh, something uh, the boxing, the boxing came out. <laughs> yeah the boxing came out, I don't know. Um, I, there, there were some people that I I knew at that time who were not very nice people and and there was like little petty teenage drama um, and whatever. Um, so anyway, long story short, there were a couple of things of that time that I regret, but I wasn't drinking all the time because I uh, couldn't buy alcohol. Um, so 1920. By the time I'm 20, it's starting to be downhill.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and how was your um, like? What was going on in your life at the time? Do you think was it just the fact that you were in a new place and you were more isolated and you were having trouble kind of um, like making strong connections? Or what do you, what do you think was contributing to the downhill? Um, I actually. Had uh, overall
1: a really rewarding time in university. That first year was probably the worst year. Um, once I, okay. st- I de- once I declared a major and uh, was around like minded people. I loved being. I loved the independence of being at school. I did had no real desire to go back back to Calgary. In fact, I'd go a little stir crazy going moving back into my parents for the summers, and mm. um, so things on paper. Were really good. Um, okay,
0: wow.
1: Yeah. A, a lot of people talk about alcohol as a, uh, a coping mechanism for something in their life that's going wrong, right? Like whether it's anxiety or whatever. Um, for me, uh, alcohol abuse has always just kind of like existed in a vacuum. Like it just has, mm. it comes from nowhere and takes everything by storm and has made it a very difficult thing to figure out because people would ask like, um, what do you get out of alcohol? And it, it was just like, um, it was just, a a self-perpetuating system. I think like I would have a really, really bad mood swings when I was drinking. And then when I was in withdrawal and it started to become that I needed it for baseline and I needed it to feel joy. Um, wow. and so even before I was cognizant of that, I think that was the cycle. Um, and it would really suck. Yeah. I I would get really like suicidally depressed and I'd be suicidally depressed when I was, uh, you know, the day after drinking as well. So the evening of, and then all the next day, and then it's like, what am I going to do? But drink some more so I can feel some, you know, Uh, Some happiness again, but why? What the fuck? Where did it come from? I don't fucking know. Because I had (laughs) that's my next question. (laughs) I had I had great friends. I had like supportive, compassionate friends that I have kept to my best friends, like to this day. And I uh, loved my program. I still wasn't a hard worker, but I really loved my program. Um, I loved my independence, and so everything on paper looked great. Uh, I didn't have crazy anxiety. I didn't have depression outside of drinking. Uh, So, yeah, it was just this thing that uh, they were like the lone lone sharks of my brain, you know? They just took on more debt. I think it's also –
0: it's so hard to pinpoint as well because if you are drinking during that entire period, it's like – it's hard to – like your baseline was almost established with drinking. So it would be hard to pinpoint like, oh, what would I – how was my how was my brain doing without the alcohol like was i was i happy with everything that was going on it, it's hard to it's hard to tell like you're it's a lot of chemical bombardment for the for the brain for, for years. sure it's a bit like uh you know historians
1: trying to figure out <laughs> like with uh, books that are half shredded like manuscripts from the 17th century i don't i don't really know i'll never really know what was going on i know now after almost four years sober um there is nothing uh, that requires like medication. Uh, cool, cool. you know. Like I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm not a chronically depressed or anything like that. So I'm not. I don't yeah. know exactly what was the story.
0: So uh, yeah, let's ba- let's back up though. Like, how did um, so you're four years sober now, or almost four years? Did mm-hmm. what what kind of led to that point? What what kind of started to shake you up and make you? consider that it was really a problem um
1: so I think I started to um really like be basically certain that this was a problem that I was going to have to deal with when I was 21 22
0: um I pretty, pretty early on you knew that it was like whoa this is getting out of control yeah
1: I remember I took like a are you an alcoholic quiz when I was like 20 And I sent it to my friend and I was like, ha, 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 I'm 16 of the 21 things. That's hilarious. I'm, you know, I'm Irish and an artist and I love to drink. And she's like, yeah, at the time I was like, uh,
0: no red flags, dude. She's like, you're the only one laughing, but like (laughs) you need help. (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah. So like when I was 21, 22, I accessed, um, like mental health services at my campus they were not very helpful. Um, it was hard to get regular access and, and, uh, at least one person was like really, really bad. Uh, he just like told me I didn't have a problem and basically quit wasting his time. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. He's a psychiatrist. I'm sure we have
0: thoughts and feelings about psychiatry in general, but, um, just so, because of the amount you were drinking, just what why did he? Wh- what was his rationale for that? Just the I, quantities you were drinking seem I, normal, or the, the 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 way I remember the conversation was,
1: I didn't really know how to quit drinking on my own. I had this excited idea that uh, there was a medication. I forget Naltrexone. I
0: think it's it's called. That sounds that sounds like something. Yeah.
1: Yeah that that you take it and. Um, the reward system to your brain is essentially cut off when you drink. So you, the, in theory, you would take it every morning. Uh, and then, you know, you'd, you'd have no real desire to drink because there would be no high. I was like, okay, this is my best solution. So I'm going to go to the shrink and he'll prescribe it for me. I went and he was like, well, okay, how many drinks are you having? And I was like, uh, nine to 12 a day. And he's like, mm, yeah, that's a lot. So now, is really expensive, And I was like, okay, well, what do you think then? And he's like, well, I'm just saying, like, if it was, you know, me, like, maybe not. Have you heard of AA? I was like, yeah, I have. I don't know. He's like, okay, well, here's a pamphlet. Um, And then I remember the last thing he said to me was, eventually, you'll figure out that drinking is a waste of time. So, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Medical school. And he was right. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> yeah. I was instantly cured. I was like, oh, oh my God, a, a genius among <laughs> men. <laughs> a professor had told me this was the way to get into grad school. So, uh, <laughs> smart, wild. Hard. yeah, he was wild. wild. He was a wild man. Uh, and there Damn. was a, there was a counselor who was a lot nicer, but, um, I just, I don't know. I would get a lot of these questions that seemed reasonable. Like, what do you think it's doing for you? Uh, what do you think your life would look like without it? And even when I had pretty good answers to these questions, I just didn't know how to make it connect to like actually changing my behavior. Um, so yeah, uh, I, drank, I drank through undergrad um, and into grad school.
0: Did you ever take the pamphlet and check out AA at that time or was it maybe Yeah, later? I did. I hit up AA a couple of times. Um the first few times
1: I did, I was oh, I always found it really scary. I don't know why exactly. Mm. Um I always had this bias against AA. There was just a vibe about it that as a very young, stubborn person, um it freaked me out. I did. I, mm. I. I think I was paranoid about the idea of being like brainwashed. Uh, I was paranoid about basically this feeling, this intuition that I could like lose who I was somehow. Because every mm. every way that AA is dep- you know depicted in media, there's this sort of like often characters have this kind of cartoonish transformation, like often from uh like this sort of cool like living on the edge person to like a jesus freak who uh, right, right. you know hates gay people or something always always happy always like <laughs> creepily yeah. smiling the ned flanders of the world yeah um i didn't really i i didn't want to be like that i was always like a sarcastic cynical fuck you know i don't know fuck bush junior like sure. type of guy so yeah. i just yeah if it, it, it the idea of it freaked me out um But I did go. I didn't stick with it in my early 20s. And
0: yeah. You didn't stick with it? No, I didn't stick with it. I would go go to like one meeting and then I'd hit up a liquor store and I'd go back like three months later. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on actually because I have so many, um, I have a lot of AA people on. I would say it's like the majority of guests I have are probably like AA graduates, although you never really graduate aa but they're they're big advocates for it um and i am a big fan of the 12 steps myself so i thought it would be really good to have a guest on who maybe didn't have the best experience and who still got sober and is still doing well um yeah. because i think it can be it can be dangerous sometimes to think that there's only one possible solution and and people who hold on too tightly to that orthodox view can uh it can be problematic in the recovery mm-hmm. community, I think.
1: Yeah, even as like an older and more open-minded person, that I have encountered a number of people in AA that take a very hard line about different things. Um, you know, like my partner, Andrea, and I have been together uh, since my sobriety, since before my sobriety. And uh, I remember people really knocking that as like, they would say, "Well, you know, what are some of your incentives for being sober? And I would say, "My the love of my life. And they would say, that's really bad. Shouldn't. And oh, I be yeah. like, well, fuck you too. And so, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, people have their strong opinions in that in that thing. And there are opinions that have been systematized. And uh, something about that still rubs me the wrong way. But in general, I'm not anti-AA. I think yeah. it's a good resource. And if I had to, if someone made me have a hypothesis, I think it's that people need community. Like I think that mm. having a family saves lives. And I had that. And I still couldn't get sober. So it wasn't something missing from my life, you know? Mm. Um, I think if you're alone- It's definitely
0: one, it's one big component of it for sure. I think yeah. that's, the fellowship of it is is huge for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, I, and I can't, I can't speak for what it, I'm, your other guests
0: will be better at experts and how it works. Um, yeah. It's not about that though. Where it's all about. It's all about you today, Sebastian. <laughs> what well, worked for you? Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So AA wasn't your thing. It was. It was not. You tried it a few times, um, and, and then you continued drinking, and and that went on for like the entirety of of undergrad, or include in the master's program as well, or. Uh, yes. So
1: uh, my master's was kind of a lot like high school. I uh, I was in an English literature and creative writing master's. I've always been a capable writer. Not a lot of stats quizzes in English literature and <laughs> nice, creative writing. Nice. Uh, you can be drunk. Uh, and if you mostly write poetry and like essays on uh, Shakespeare, you can make it. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I was not getting grants. I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> not making good relationships with colleagues or professors. I was scraping by. Um, and I was going to things like AA when I would come home to Calgary, my parents, it was clear to everybody I had a drinking problem. They would get me in touch with resources. Um, I would like call friends. I'd be like, I think I'm going to kill myself. My friends would call the police. The police would show up for a wellness check and my parents would be like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, the fuck's going on. Um, we didn't really know how to talk about that, which I'm sure a lot of families wouldn't. Um, yeah. I don't I don't fault them for that at all. It's like a crazy problem for everyone involved. Um so, but they they like uh helped me get into like a 12-step based recovery outpatient group. I did that. I saw a counselor who was uh, 12-steppy um like did AA all the time and was recover- in recovery herself. Um so I did e- end up giving a 12-step programs a fair shake, I would say in the end.
0: And that outpatient group was it um like you met one-on-one with the counselor or were you meeting with a, with the whole group as well and sort of meeting other people in the recovery? Yeah, it was, or? it was
1: pretty intensive. So we had a, um, people that were part of the outpatient group would have regular meetings that were very similar to AA meetings. Um, and based on my limited experience with AA, um, and then separate, but in conjunction, like with in, in communication with one another, I had a, a private counselor who I would see and, the counselors that ran the program, I would have regular meetings with them as well. So, okay. it was really like. So, those are like end. like
0: three, four hours a week
1: type thing, or I think more.
0: Like, more, I think it would yeah. be
1: like two hours a week with the private counselor, two hours a week one on one with the Damn. outpatient counselor, and then like four, five, six hours a week of the outpatient group.
0: And was this Calgary? Like, this is under the Calgary like health uh, system. Like, how how did that? How did you? It was like, it was that? like mostly private. I think only
1: private. Eh? Wow. Like, I think insurance and stuff and maybe some, some, uh, healthcare stuff helped, but it was not fucking Cal, is piece of shit for anything mental health related. So
0: that's why I was, that's why I was so curious. I was like, that seems like a really good program. I'm yeah, surprised. Yeah. I actually had one friend from high school who
1: ended up, uh, coming out as an alcoholic as well. And we, we went to a uh, 12 step, we went to AA a couple times together too. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it, it just didn't seem to be clicking. Like I, I would go there. I wouldn't really be present. I'd be there, but not present. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I think that I just thought that like, if I did certain things or I had a certain epiphany, um, things would get easier. But like there weren't there were no shortcuts to quitting drinking except for like mm. not drinking like that was the yeah. only you know.
0: Um, so did you have any epiphanies in the uh, working with the counselor one-on-one working with that group like how long, how long did that program go for and, and did you have any big sort of turning point moments? It went
1: for the summer basically. I can't remember if this was like end of undergrad or middle of grad school, I think middle of grad school. Um, and, um, I don't know, Uh, most of what I remember about the program was negative, but based mostly because of colored by this mental state I was in, Mm. like not that the program was bad or anything. Just a lot of people that had, you're suffering. Yeah, I was suffering and they were very positive. Like they wanted to, uh, to have enthusiasm and hope and optimism. And I just wasn't in a position where I was receptive to those things. Uh, you know, like I remember a counselor saying like, you know, I just get overwhelmed with gratitude all the time. Like I saw these otters uh, in the water and I just, I had, I called them gratitude attacks. And <laughs> I recalled my friend and I was like, you know, it's good that you saw some otters, but like also Hiroshima happens. Like I don't, why are these otters the be all end all of, you know? Um, And I thought I was grappling with, with deep questions about the purpose of life and stuff. But mm. I don't know if I really was.
0: Um, yeah. That's something I was going to ask you before when you were talking about, like you had connection, you had a lot on paper, a lot of things going well that I was, that was kind of floating around in my mind, whether there were like deeper like existential angst and, and philosoph more philosophical questions that might've been at the root of what was going on. And have you, did that come up later? Like were some of those questions maybe answered in a way and that helped or, or do you think that was not very related to the core issue? Um,
1: actually, you know, that's a good question and a good point. I think that was something that I spent my early life, uh, struggling with quite a bit. Um, I made the mistake based on, you know, somewhat low self-esteem coming out of high school and based on being an artist and based on some stuff to do with the values of my upbringing that, the purpose of life was to be excellent at something Mm. and nothing else seemed that important to me. Um, my happiness didn't seem that important to me. It seemed like a plus. Um, uh, you know, my, my lifespan, you know, living into my eighties didn't seem important to me. Really what I, if you asked me what I wanted when I was 21, it was to be known for making a really, really good novel or collection Mm. of poetry or something. Wow. And I just, uh, That's what I thought mattered. And then I just thought, well, you know, I wasn't really connecting the dots that if I spent all my time drinking, that was never going to happen. I was just like, yeah, I'm still good at writing, so I'll just do that and then drink in my off hours. Right. If I'm dead at 50, whatever.
0: Um, As long as that book is out and as long as that, like,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I had this really toxic hypothesis that any alternative explanation is naturally... Uh, biased Mm. that was my theory because it 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 feels bad to think that there's not really a purpose to life it's not Mm. a nice thought and so i i attacked any alternative with skepticism
0: because those are just made up to make us feel better
1: yeah that was my theory that was that was my
0: intuition We we would have been we would have been friends in high school, I think. <laughs> yeah. <Not laughs> I remember going to a counselor. <laughs> I remember going to a counselor. He's this like really enthusiastic Christian guy. He was the first like therapist that I saw because I was going through some depression and in, like into high school. And um I was like explaining nihilism to him and like so frustrated that he wasn't getting it. I was like, there's just no, there's absolutely like no purpose to any of this. Like we just make up everything to like feel better. And so that like systems work. And so that people keep like living and being part of society Yeah, and he just like was not on the same page as me. And that was really frustrating. And that was, yeah, I think for me, that was really the core of my, a lot of my issues was, was some Mm -hmm. of those nihilistic, uh, beliefs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, yeah, I felt at the time that that was uh, a justification for or an incentive for um, a, a good deal of my self-destructive behavior.
0: Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did when you were going through that process of quitting, did did any answer come up to the to the nihilistic uh, query, or or did it does it kind of remain unanswered for you, or or how do how do you? Yeah, how do, you, um, how do you how do you answer that now? That's a good question. Um, I do That's I what Twelve Step has given me, by the way. Like Twelve Step, yeah. I would say hasn't given me like it also gave me community, but I think it really gave me like more of an answer to those questions, mm. um, as, and that was a big part of, of my story.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that uh, it's necessarily even the right question. Okay. Right. It's like, it's a very, it's a question, you know, we're talking about like the existence of God or the lack of existence of God or whatever. And we're asking the question in very human terms, right? right. As if like the function of being a carpenter is deeper than being a carpenter because it'll lead to like spiritual carpentry for the, you know, the wood God. Uh, sure. it's, it's as if there's, it's like we make these products and then beneath that, there'll be some deeper product or something like that. I don't know why there needs to be some deeper meaning to Mm. life necessarily i think we can challenge that assumption um which i'll talk out of my ass and say like less western philosophy tends to do more of um that's true i i think i think talking out your ass is right on that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i don't know um so i guess the question bothers me less now than it would have before
0: okay okay yeah no that 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 is like it's not an answer in the sense that like a Western Christian person might answer, but it's still a resolution. I would say to the question it, right. it doesn't because it, it it no longer bothers you as much.
1: It helps a lot to not worry about this kind of question when you're in love with someone who you see every day. Like when you mm-hmm. really, when you wow. have somebody that you just, you know, is your person that you could you talk to and understands you and you're with them all the time. Uh, it just like is, basic premise of it feels uh off so Mm, that's beautiful yeah what a what a poet (laughs) so so, yeah so so i i guess you know i mean if someone really asked me like what is why if if aliens asked what's the point of being human i want to try it out i'm going to be a human tourist Mm. what should i do i would say practice being in love i mean
0: Mm. i don't know connection love yeah, yeah
1: i don't that would be my recommendation to the aliens trying it out Wow,
0: I love that. Very non committal really, uh, answer to like the question. They, <laughs>
1: <purpose>.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. But there's, but that's the thing about that, right? There's no good. There's no good answers, and it's not like we're not going to sit here and, and act as if we we figured that out. Like it's just not. Um, it's uh, it's a tough one. We humanity's been struggling with that for a couple of years at least. Uh, yeah. The history professor would say uh, <laughs> yeah. since the 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the Renaissance, they
1: discovered the, the issues. They discovered uh, tobacco uh, and existential <laughs> angst and they fucked me over completely. <laughs>
0: God damn it. French philosophers. Damn you. Yeah. Um, Man, I love talking to you about this. It's actually, it's actually really fun for me. I think it's, uh, it, it's so interesting because it, it doesn't come up in a lot of conversations about substance abuse, but mm. it's there. Like it's an underlying thread, I think, in yeah. in people who abuse substances and people who struggle with addictions. Um, whether they're aware of it or not, I think these questions are, um, if, if it's a really unanswered question and it's a really problematic one, it's uh, it's going to cause some, some issues in the psyche. Yeah, yeah. Hopelessness
1: is like a philosophical condition in a way right? i mean it's it's a it's a belief system um and uh i thought i was thinking rationally but obviously i fucking wasn't because i had zero dopamine at all times like of course (laughs) i thought that the fundamental highlight was that their
0: life is meaningless and Mm. you know so can we can we talk about your relationship a bit sure when did you guys meet so you were still this was like five six years ago uh it was uh
1: for five years ago five years ago okay. um and we met um at a party when i was in grad school shit okay this is maybe we're gonna have to edit this out <laughs> five years ago <laughs> oh boy yeah it was because i'm 28 i'm not 29 i'm 28 okay, okay. so it was five you years were 23 ago. yeah and um Uh, or just turning 23. And uh, yeah, we met at a party. I was very drunk. Uh, She was probably drinking too. I I read some of my poetry, which uh, ostensibly was impressive. And uh, apparently I was, uh, I seemed like a catch. I don't
0: know. Uh, That's how she tells it. So um, it is impressive, by the way, not to like boost your ego too much, but it is, it is just there like accept that. Like, just, Come can up. you just accept play some that like, with the, just, I want you to sit here on the microphone and just say that you're a pretty good, you're a pretty good writer. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't
1: know <laughs> <laughs> say it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the okay, ISU so you- are uh, famously not very good with compliments, so. So you, so
0: you, uh, you met at the party. Um, did, um, were you, you were already trying to quit drinking at this point, right? You were already in this program. You were doing, you were seeing the counselor. Was I had like point? done that program in Alberta, gone back to Toronto. It oh. hadn't really
1: worked. I was partly there out of obligation to my family. Um, and I kept drinking. Yeah. Um, and so I was a total mess. Uh, I'd had like, um, problems with my roommates related to my drinking I ended up moving out of where I lived into like an illegal rooming house I was really broke Uh, I was just like smoking in the rooming house all the time and uh, yeah I was a mess and um, yeah but there was like this baseline level of drunk where I seemed like a normal person right like where I felt like my Mm -hmm. normal self and I was in that zone and so we met and we really hit it off and uh yeah uh wow, we, we moved we moved really fast our relationship became uh uh close very fast um and eventually we moved in together and she had a really really an amazing um relationship to my drinking like she um i think some people just don't even know what the fuck is going on right like they just can't relate to it. Mm. They don't know what you're doing. They just, you just seem like an idiot or like you're like you have a, uh, a contagious disease or something. And um, uh, so I, she gave me so much compassion and love without it being like tolerated as a normal behavior. And mm. I knew, I just kind of knew that our relationship was not going to keep going forever if I just took it for granted and kept drinking.
0: Um, and when you, when you made that realization, did you Um, where did it lead you? Like, did you end up going back into one of these programs or, or seeking help? Or was this just kind of an internal, okay, I, I'm really quitting now. And that was what made the difference. I did go back to one of those programs, um, because I could, and
1: it couldn't hurt. Right. Um, but the game changer, if you asked me to really decide was probably internal. Um, I did a, um, I was worried about early withdrawal because at that point my drinking was at an all time high. Basically, maybe maybe not actually. I I had curbed it a little bit since seeing her, but I, at this point I was really familiar with bad withdrawal shakes, insomnia, sweating, mm. and so I went to a um, uh, I got a bed basically like a cot um, where they gave me um, clonazepam to help with it. And I did that for 24 hours. And then I did a, uh, it was during the pandemic. So I did a outpatient uh, group over Zoom.
0: Uh, Wow. Yeah. Over Zoom, dude, you're like, (laughs) that's gotta be the hardest like time to quit, I think. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's, that's what it should be. It should be the hardest time to quit. And I I had had way, way more resources before in my life and failed completely so that's why it seems like there was just something inside of me that, that mm. like a light bulb that went off, something that
0: switched. I just, I just felt ready. You found your Sonia. My, my <laughs> I wife? don't know if you're, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, crime and punishment. Oh, uh, but, I'm familiar. Uh, I've, I've that, heard of that. I've
1: heard of that. Yeah.
0: Raskolnikov um, finds Sonia, who's like the, um, basically the the embodiment of like life is greater than logic, you know like right love, and then, then I went to jail for forty years, yeah, yeah, then she yeah. accompanies you to jail for forty years in, in like none of it, right <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's yeah. it's really interesting I think this is this is one of the most unique stories of recovery I've actually had on the show because I think most people that um I, I feel like most people who really want to share their story and who like reach out to me to share their story kind of, they follow a certain narrative. Like they follow a certain almost formula of like, this is the way to recover. Um, mm. And it's it's just not the only way. It clearly isn't the only way. And, and people have so many different experiences with this thing.
1: Yeah. I think there's a few th- different things going on there. I, I have looked at some of the research on, on, um, on spontaneous recovery. And it is actually a surprisingly common thing. Like, some research suggests the majority of people recover without a program uh, that do recover. Wow. Um, this is weird, right? It doesn't follow our intuition. I think our natural intuition is that, like, there needs to be an observable cause and effect for things. Like, that's just how we mm. want life to be. Um, you know, we want a cure, we want a system that if you do this and this and this, things will go better for you. Um, we don't totally understand addiction, and um, no. yeah, no. and I, I just I think that um, a lot of it has to do with being in a certain headspace. I think.
0: Do you think I, I remember when you were talking about like the fears around AA? It was almost this this worry that they were going to change you, right? Like mm-hmm. you were going to lose the essential nature of who you were. Do you think during this? Um like this four year period. Do you feel like your personality has changed? Do you feel like you're a different person in some ways? In some ways. Uh, I I want to
1: just uh, to to be clear. I, I'm talking about a time in my life where I was a complete fucking idiot, like 21, 22. <laughs> so like these worries that AA has yeah. like this horrible toxic cults, like I don't think they're rational. Um I I ha- I am different. Um I'm a less of a risk taker. I'm more mm. irritable. Um more I'm more irritable. easily bored. Yeah. uh, Really? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, if I can't get the fucking fish spatula to turn the goddamn piece of salmon, (laughs) it's like really frustrating.
0: But while Uh, you were drinking, you were much more uh, easy with the spatula. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, probably because I was drunk all the time, right? But that's the thing. It's hard to tell what your personality really was, right? Yeah.
1: Totally. Totally. Um, But this version of myself now feels, the texture of it feels, like I'm a little bit more high strung, a little bit more irritable, um, but also just like alert, uh, you know, more capable um, and more excited by mm. by things at a baseline. So yeah.
0: tell me a little bit about like after that 24 hour detox, as you're starting to do the, the zoom calls, are you, are you experiencing a lot of craving? Are you experiencing a lot of, um, a lot of struggles with, with staying sober or how how did that whole period look like Mm. I had done I I knew that like the first
1: week was going to be the hardest and I had done the first three days ish before so I I knew kind of going into it what to expect and I experienced a lot of that this kind of meh feeling about everything Mm -hmm. um inability to sleep and I was just prepared for it so that went okay um the the group was okay. It was like something to do every day. Um yeah. Yeah. It the reality is that it's not as bad as you think it's gonna be, or at least it wasn't for me. Mm. Like I really wow. there was a part of me that thought that like if I stopped drinking, I would literally die. Like, or that yeah. the, that I would cease to exist as like who I am and like st- because I only understood happiness through drinking. I only understood my brain functioning the way that felt normal through drinking. Makes sense. So I just had to kind of walk past that threshold. And, and once I did and I didn't die,
0: it like became possible. <laughs> yeah. How long, how long is that threshold? Do you think, do you think it's like two weeks two uh, two months? Um,
1: I think it's just like, um, there's a threshold for any habit, or in this case, like lack of habit, where like one day you wake up and you just did it without thinking, right? Mm. Like, damn. I got through this morning without thinking about drinking. And you like realize that, you know, yeah, in the middle of the day. So it's this, uh, it's this weird, like fade out of recognition. So it's sort of hard to pin down.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah
1: probably like two weeks or something.
0: Wow, wow, It's yeah. amazing, man. I'm really happy for you. I'm really like, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm really happy I get to, to, to share this story as well, because I think it's, it's um, it, it can be really hopeful for people, you know, uh, especially people who've tried recovery, they've tried programs, they've tried a lot of things, and just keep going back to drinking. Yeah. Um, it can seem impossible, and it can seem like you are going to die um and and some people do die like drinking will take their lives or suicide will take their lives you know so yeah it's like um, the opposite of what your brain is telling you (laughs) like it's it's not
1: sobriety that's going to kill you it is the other thing um yeah yeah I, I sense we're wrapping up, but I have one, if we are wrapping up, I have one last thought.
0: No, maybe. no, a couple, I'll, I'll, there's a couple more things. Actually, wait, before your last, before your last thought, cause I will ask you any more thoughts. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me just ask when we went, cause we've been to the bar a couple times. Mm-hmm. What's that experience like for you? I don't know if I really asked you that in the past. Like, is That's that, a good question, yeah. is that a difficult environment to be in or
1: how do it's you feel not, in the bar? It's
0: not, it's not too bad. Um, I'm at a place now
1: where I'm comfortable in the fact that I'm making like an active choice that I'm happy with not to drink. And um, the thing about bars and stuff now is they just don't really interest me anymore. So uh, I don't spend a lot of time there because I no longer feel the desire to be like in a party environment um, very much. So like I'll go out for when people are having a beer and hang out for an hour. And then at that point I'm like kind of, ready to I'm just bored so it's not it's not um unless there's poker involved yeah unless there's poker involved (laughs) uh that's right then we're then we're playing for playing for life roles (laughs) playing for bank accounts
0: um what were what else did you what else was on your mind are there any last um last thoughts before we wrap this up
1: yeah I think my last thought was um in terms of stories of people that recover without uh programs and stuff Um, obviously what I don't want people to leave this interview with is like, oh, I don't need to do a program because like everything's fine. Right. Right. And things will just work themselves out eventually. Um, that's not what it is, uh, obviously. But I also think that if I could go back in time and give myself one piece of advice, it's actually to, um, take a little bit of the power away from the idea of addiction as this like God that is like an unkillable, unbeatable vampire force that completely just like owns your life. Yeah. It is not that different from fucking going to the gym. It is the (laughs) hardest thing ever, but you know what else is really fucking hard is going to the gym. I'm sorry, but for most people it is. I, I just had to like, get up every day and make the choice not to drink that. And that's it. There's no, it's not like, to me, it wasn't about a spiritual revolution. It wasn't about, uh, 12 steps. And it wasn't about counselors either, or like something clinical. It, it was just like, whatever, whether we don't understand about motivation when it comes to anything, that's what had to change for me. It was, it was mm-hmm. like a motivation issue. And, um, if it stops being this like dark magic that controls your soul and starts being just like um something basic. Uh mm-hmm. even I don't want to delegitimize how hard it is. Of course I know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. But it's not special. We're not dealing with magical uh It's human behavior. Yeah. And it, and it, it's yeah. It, yeah. So that would be my advice for myself.
0: Mm. Yeah. I really like that. I really like that. It um it takes away the teeth, you know, it takes yeah. away the teeth a little bit and it, it makes it something that's, um, if you're feeling hopeless, like have a little bit of hope, this thing can be overcome and it is overcome by many, many people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm really glad to hear how you overcame it and have you on the show and learn more about like, dang, that's, it's actually crazy. It's actually crazy that you're, <laughs> that you made it over to Toronto and that we're in the same program now and we're getting to know each other. It's yeah. has it's been a cool time. It is crazy. I feel lucky to be alive and I feel lucky to have met you
1: and I feel lucky to have been on the pod.
0: Thanks, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing the story and uh, I'll uh, I'll be seeing you. Yes, you will. Thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of the Addictive Pod. My Instagram is at Addictive Podcast. You can stay up to date with the show there and send me a message. Let me know what you thought of the episode whether there's a guest you want me to invite on the show or any other feedback. That's all for me this week. Until next, next Monday, remember, we recover together.